talk about death as an apologetic. What's the point? I'm supposed to give a reason for the hope that's in me. I just want to talk about the issue of death being itself, that passage out of this life being itself something that helps me show the truthfulness of Scripture. And I want to talk about that in a, in a more uh, conversational way. No, no, that's not the right word. I want, to, I want to talk about that in terms of how you're going to encounter these people as you share the gospel with them. How does this discussion and, and topic of death help you through affirming the truthfulness of Scripture? And I want to think about it this way. Most people want to go, I don't, most want to, they want to say, I don't need your gospel, I don't need your God, you're fine with that, it's good for you, it's, you know, whatever, not good for me, I'm glad it's true for you, it's not true for me, everything's fine, I'm fine, I don't need it. That's so much of what we encounter when we deal with evangelism. What I want to say is death is a concept. The profundity of death is a total disruption to everything is okay, right? Everything is not okay when you die, at least in terms of what you know and experience and you have in terms of satisfaction and joy and pleasure, relationships, love, all of that stuff is gone for you as everyone can attest just by the fact that people that we know have died and all of that stuff that they used to enjoy doesn't seem they seem to be enjoying it anymore. So death is a disruption to everything being okay and that is a super helpful thing. Ecclesiastes is a key book in this regard. The whole book is helping us see things. If this life is all there is, what a waste right? In the end, what are we doing? Like a hamster in a wheel, it doesn't make sense. Ecclesiastes 5.15, speaking of the person objectively as some guy, some nameless guy, he came from his mother's womb and he shall go again. He came on the scene, he's going to leave. Naked he came, had nothing, right? And he's going to take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? You want to talk about becoming a, an existential nihilist, that there's no purpose, what's the reason, what's the point? Death is a disruption to every point and reason you live for, right? What, what do you live for? All of those things you live for, think about that, are gone if you're not putting your trust ultimately where Ecclesiastes takes you in chapter 12 to God. If you don't have that, if you don't have a right relationship with a creator, then all of this is, it's just, it, it's, it's worthless, it's vain, it's chasing after the wind. Death as a concept, I think, needs to be utilized much more often in our evangelism as a talking point. We need to move people into that very uncomfortable place. And, and it's a very simple, and I mean, I hope, I was sharing the gospel yesterday with a guy, um, I was in Chicago yesterday, and, and I had a, had a cab ride, which I like to share the gospel in the cab. And whenever we talk about the gospel, we eventually have to get to the fact that this life is not what it's about. And so you want an easy in, even if you have a short time with a person in a conversation, I mean, you can ask them a very simple question about death. And I mean, I've heard it used countlessly by others. I've used it myself many, many times. It's not my only approach to it. Hey, what do you think happens to you when you die? That's kind of a nice way to bring up a subject that's very disruptive because no one wants to think about that. And that's a good place for us to start because the gospel is addressing that very problem as we dealt with last week. The whole point of the resurrection cornerstone of that, fixing the problem of sin and its consequences. So death is a disruption, and that's a very helpful disruption for people that think, I'm fine, I don't need any of the stuff you have. Number two, obviously, death is an inevitability. It's the question, what happens to you when you die? When you die. Not if you die, no one says that. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, from that old 60s or 70s song, whatever it was, you know these words, right? For everything there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven. And the first one on the list is the temporal nature of mortality, a time to be born and a time to die. The reality of the span of your mortal life, that should be the bookends that makes you think beyond this life, which is the whole point of the book of Ecclesiastes, to spend time under the sun trying to deal with life and to recognize there's got to be something beyond the sun. And so it is that the death being an inevitability for everyone should help us in our conversations to press into an arena of transcendent matters, of things that matter that really we go to church, I hope, every Sunday to deal with, which a lot of churches don't, sadly, these days. But that's a good place to start. The inevitability of death, as I quote often George Bernard Shaw, pithily said, the statistics on death are quite impressive. One out of one people die. That should help us in our evangelism, and it helps us in our apologetic by giving a reason for the hope that's in us because all of us need a hope. That's a good place to start. Do you see the sense in which I'm talking about death being an apologetic? It begins with the problem, but a problem that's universal and inevitable. Death is humbling. If you want to put it in those terms, I think it's good. You can talk to the most powerful person in the world. I was just talking before we got started about Richard Dawkins, right? the most militant atheist, came out with a new book last week. He's going to die. He can beat his chest like... William Hensley and say that he's the captain of his own fate and the master of his own soul, but in reality, you are powerless when it comes to death. To stay in Ecclesiastes here for just a minute, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 8, no man has power to retain the spirit, right? What is death? As I defined it in the last book I wrote, it is simply the, here's a simple definition, it is a separation of your soul and your body, your spirit and your body, the separation of those two things, that's death. Stephen said, receive my spirit. When Christ said to the Lord, you know, into, into your hands, Father, I, I commit my spirit. When your spirit leaves your body, you're dead. And the point is, you can't keep your spirit in your body. I've been there several times, as some of you in healthcare professions have, or paramedics, when people have died right in front of you. There's, there's n- nothing to stop that. I mean, you, the, no one has the power to retain their spirit, right? Or the power over the day of death. I mean, unless you accelerate that, I suppose, in a suicidal moment, you, you, you know, if we all want to live with the natural assumption that we want to keep on living, you can't control that. You can't keep your spirit in your body, and you can't control when you're going to have to give up that spirit. And that is a humbling thing. And there's something that we need in the hubris of Psalm 2 in trying to say, why do I need God? Shaking my fist at God. I don't want his morality. I don't like his rules. I don't like there being a teacher or someone in charge of me something very humbling about, just just think about death. Death is an apologetic. It's apologetic in the fact that we are like the flower of the field. We're like the grass of the field. We wither. The flower falls off, the grass withers. I mean, we are not going to last. We're like a vapor. That is a helpful apologetic in why we're walking around saying there's more to this life and we need hope beyond this life. So death is an apologetic. Consider the humbling effect that death has and utilize that in your evangelism. And thankfully, to continue in Ecclesiastes, death should, if we can hold our nose there long enough, prompt spiritual contemplation that we're more than mortal, that we're more than this life, 
that there is something beyond the grave, and I've got to start dealing with preparation for that. I mean, that old line, prepare to meet your maker. You know, you picture someone on a sandwich board and a bell yelling, you know, to prepare to meet their maker. Well, that's what death does. It helps us think that through. Some are going to close their eyes and whistle in the graveyard and cross their arms or stick their finger in their ears and not want to think about it. But when we have to stop and think about it, when Dawkins, speaking of him, or Sam Harris, whoever it might be, has to go to the funeral of his friends, you can roll your eyes at all the rigmarole going on with the pastor on the stage, but hopefully you're going to think about the day of your own death and the powerlessness and the hum- humbling nature of death. Ecclesiastes 7.2, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. At least that's the way it ought to be and in most cases it is. Until, by the way, we turn every funeral into a celebration of life. Can I say that while we're not planning your husband's funeral? Can we say that right now? I know that we want to put a slideshow on the screen and all that. But we're there to grieve the mourning of the loss of someone we love. That's a death. That's a mourn. That's a time to grieve. Just like it says in Ecclesiastes, there's a time to grieve. Guess what a funeral is? Time to grieve. And I would just encourage you, as you start to think about planning, not that you know when that's going to happen, but you think about the funeral planning, because eventually you're going to be in one of our pastor's offices if you stick around here, and you're going to be planning a funeral. Can we not try to turn it into a party? In part because part of what we're supposed to do as human beings is to stare death in the face and say, wow, that's a serious, inevitable, life-changing, humbling thing. And the whole point of church is to think about the reality of that. The whole point of the gospel is to prepare for that. 